What's up, y'all? Welcome to the Black Fashion History Podcast, an audio series by Black Fashion Closet, where we chronicle the contributions of Black people all around the world to luxury fashion. It's Black history, but make it fashion. And I'm your host, Tanika Russ. So if you love luxury, history, being Black, or all three, then this is the place for you. Now let's get into it. Hey, 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 everybody. Welcome back. We are officially in episode two of Black Fashion History. And I just want to thank you guys so much for all of the love and support that y'all showed me with the release of episode one. I'm so excited that you guys are learning so much. I love all of the support. I really appreciate it. And it really just gave me the encouragement and motivation that I needed to continue to push on and to share these amazing stories of all of these legends with you guys. So thank you. Thank you so much again. I am working to bring you great content every single week, every single Thursday and sharing more stories with you all and hopefully, you know, us learning together. So last week I shared with you all a little bit about what you can expect week to week coming from this podcast, but I wanted to come back and give y'all a little more depth and expand on, you know, the reason why I started this podcast and the Black Fashion Closet platform to begin with. So I got to take it all the way back, not that far back, but take it back to last year, 2018. Uh, I was living in the New York, New Jersey area. I moved up there to finish out a few of my classes because I was in graduate school. Shout out to Rutgers University and the communications program. Sigh all day, every day. Uh, But I moved up there to finish out a couple of classes. And since I was in the New York, New Jersey area and I was applying for jobs to get me through that final stretch of grad school, make sure I had a little change in my pocket, I decided, you know, I'm up here. I'm near the fashion capital of the world. I've always loved fashion. I've always loved luxury fashion. I said, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to go for jobs in the fashion industry. I'm trying to see if I can get something. Before, I was working in marketing and I loved that and I really enjoyed it. I worked specifically in social media marketing and working even more specifically for beauty brands and beauty brands that were focused on black women but even though I enjoyed that fashion is really like my thing and the thing that like I researched that I could stay up hours in the night to talk about or read about or you know all that stuff so I wanted to try and pursue that dream especially since I was in New York so ended up applying for jobs got a lot of callbacks from a few different brands and I ended up working for Saks as a sample assistant. My time as a sample assistant was not a positive one. Well, not take that back. My time as a sample assistant was a positive one. The way I left Saks was not a positive one. So um, I will not be telling that story, at least not on this episode. But if you guys are going to call like the corporate office to check my story, just know you may not get some positive reviews on me. Anyway, uh, while I was working at Saks, 
I was seeing all of the samples that would come into the studio. I was working specifically in the photo studio. So that's where we shot all of the Facebook campaigns that you see. If you see any advertisements on your Facebook feed coming from Saks Fifth Avenue, that's where we shot it, um, where we also shoot some of the product imagery. So we'll get samples from the different PR showrooms or the brands directly. And my job was to unpack them, hang them up, like check them in, make sure that they were prepared to be on set, take them off set, you know, put them together, all that stuff. So I was seeing the the samples that were coming in. And of course, I was familiar with a lot of the brands. And I was looking through them like, hmm, I wonder if Saks carries any black brands. So we got a lot of off-white stuff come in. And so I'm like, okay, I know we'll carry Off-White. That's really hot right now. But I wonder if we carry any other black brands. And then I thought to myself, I'm like, I wonder what black brands are out there. I wasn't completely familiar with all of the luxury black brands that existed. I knew of some. So I was familiar with Off-White, um, familiar with Tracy Reese. I was familiar with Kushney. Um what else was I familiar with? I can't remember any other ones that I knew at that time. Now I know a lot, like I'm a resource book <laughs> of black luxury brands, but I couldn't think of many. And so I was wondering, I was like, oh, what other black brands are out there? And then on top of that, do we have any long-standing black brands, like ones that didn't emerge within the past 10 years, like stuff that have kind of been around like, on the same lengths as like your Gucci or Chanel or Dior, um, Yves Saint Laurent, stuff like that. Uh, and so that kind of encouraged me to do some research. And so I asked around to different people that work in the industry, different stylists, you know, about black brands that they've worked with, of brands that they were familiar with. And one stylist was like, um, actually, there are no black brands like there there aren't really any black luxury brands and I knew that that wasn't true but at the time I couldn't like name off a whole bunch like I could name the three that I just shared with you all uh, but I couldn't rattle off a whole bunch and I couldn't rattle off a whole bunch of designers like vintage era designers you know so I didn't really have anything to say, but that's the moment where I know it's like, okay, well, I got to do something because we have people working in the fashion industry, um, people of color specifically, because the person I talked to was uh, a black woman. So we have people of color specifically working in the fashion industry. They're working on campaigns. Um, they're, you know, working with you know executives and they're not even aware that the black brands exist so how can we even expect for black owned brands to be in these spaces when we're not even championing for each other because we don't even know about each other and we are not taking the time to educate ourselves about each other so that encouraged me to do some research. So I did some research and I found tons of luxury black brands. When I tell y'all Google is your best friend, okay? If you want to know something, Google it. Like people ask a lot of questions or people, we walk around woefully ignorant uh, when we can literally just sit at our computer or our phone and type into Google and get our questions answered. Like I searched black luxury brands and I got pages of results and like 
hundreds of lists. Now, those lists that I saw had like the same six brands on it, but that was information nonetheless. And some of those brands I wasn't even familiar with at the time. So that's when I decided to launch Black Fashion Closet, the Instagram page. And I said, well, I'm just gonna create a go-to resource that's long-standing that people can come to. And if they wanna know about black luxury brands, here it is. They can come to my page. They know that every post that I put up is gonna be from a black luxury brand. And when they wanna support and buy luxury, they're not just relegated to Chanel or Gucci or Dior. They can come and support in their community and they can, you know, begin to aspire to those things. I think as people, we obviously aspire to the name brands because that's what we see celebrities wear, that's what we see musicians wear. So when we get a little bit of change, that's where we want to spend our money. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like if that's if you've always wanted a Chanel bag, then go girl, when you get your money, go get a Chanel bag. What I'm saying is there are other brands out there, more specifically there are designers that look like us. Um, that we should have that same feeling and fondness towards. So just like we run out and get a Chanel bag, we should run out and get a Telfar bag. Uh, And we should rock all of those with pride. And we should promote those because that's our community. Those are our designers. And ultimately that money gets circulated back into that community. And that's how we you know, can continue to build generational wealth. And I'm not gonna go on a tangent about why buying black is important. Um, cause we just don't have the time, but <laughs> buying black is important. And so I wanted people to understand that I wanted people to have brands that they could go after so that they know we existed. And that's what birthed the black fashion closet page, which if you haven't followed yet, you should stop this podcast right here, go ahead and follow us and then come back and press play. Well, actually, you know, with the technology on these phones and stuff, you don't even have to stop the podcast. You can go ahead and just go straight to Instagram and follow me. So I'm gonna give y'all a moment to do that uninterrupted. Okay, you should be followed by now. (laughs) So anyway, that's how that platform was born. Now, as I was posting on that platform, I'm like, oh, great. I'm honoring all of these designers that exist now. But what about the ones that came before me? You cannot convince me that um, Carly Kushney is the the oldest or I'm sorry, she's pretty young. So that was a bad example. But you cannot convince me that um, Tracy Reese or Stella Jean Roma, those are the oldest black brands. Like I know there were people before that. I'm like, I'm wondering, you know, why haven't I heard of these people? Why their story isn't shared? You know, and how come, and this was the number one question, there isn't like a black fashion house. Like I know there were black people designing um, around the time that Coco Chanel is designing, you know, or around the time that Christian Dior is designing. It's like, how come their brands haven't lasted the test of time at as those other ones have. I was like, where are our fashion houses? You know, where are our uh, legacy brands? And so I did more research, Google again, and that's where I began to learn more about the black designers, ones that 
um, like Anne Lowe, like I covered in the last episode or Zelda Wynn Valdez that I'm covering in this episode, I learned more about them and their story and why, you know, they weren't given the opportunities like the bigger brands were given and how, you know, the things that they had to overcome and the situations that they were in that unfortunately didn't allow them to last the test of time like that. And I thought it was really important to share those stories. It's important for us to know our history. Um, And as someone who's into fashion, I was just fascinated by those stories. So I started creating weekly throwback Thursday IG stories where I just share tidbits of the lives of these people. And then I also shared like first or black first that were happening in fashion at the time. Uh, And those are still up, by the way, so you can find them in the highlights on the Black Fashion Closet Instagram page. Uh, And so that's where the history portion of it came from. And then earlier this year, I was sitting with one of my mentors, well, my only mentor, honestly, and we were just talking through my goals for the Black Fashion Closet brand, you know, the mark that I wanted to make in the fashion industry. And she convinced me to start a podcast. She was like, you should definitely start a podcast. Like you could do the history piece. Um, And I took her advice. It took a really long time for me to put it together and put it out, but I did take her advice. And here we have Black Fashion History. So (laughs) that is the long, short version of how this platform came to be. And just what I want you to ultimately understand is that the goal is for us to celebrate the legends in the fashion industry that came before us to have a place where people can go to and they know that they can find this information. The internet is forever. And so I wanted something on the internet that years and years and years and years from now when people search these names that they would be able to find information. If our history isn't documented, is it if it isn't archived or kept by somebody, uh, it ultimately goes away. And the more generations that come later, they don't have a chance to access that information. Therefore, they don't know about that information. Therefore, to them, that information doesn't exist. And I didn't want that to happen to these people. So we are here to share their stories. I want you guys to learn. And in the future or in future episodes, I'm not only going to be sharing the story of people's past, but of the history makers of today, um, the living legends that we still have walking among us. I have so many great plans. So I'm just excited that you all are loving it. And I'm thrilled and honored to be able to bring you information that honestly, I was never taught. I know that's a mouthful, but I wanted y'all to hear that little story and I thought it was important to share. So next on the docket, we're finally going to get into our legend for the day. And that is Miss Zelda Wynn Valdez. I'm very excited about this episode. Actually, honestly, truly, I'm excited about every episode, but this one in particular, because when it's one of my favorite designers, like when I was doing my research on 
what I'm going to call vintage designers. That's just my way of saying um, black designers that worked like wait, like in the 50s or 60s or even the 20s, just before this time. So when I was doing my research on vintage designers and I was reading her story, found out about all of the great work that she's done, and then got a chance to see the pieces that she created and learned about the people that she designed for and dressed, some of my favorite um, beautiful vintage black Hollywood celebrities I was like oh yeah this lady is it like favorite designer already like I saw some of her dresses on Pinterest and I saved it to my dream wedding board because I'm like I'm going to get something reminiscent or I'm going to make something reminiscent of her looks for my wedding day so this is how much I love this lady and I can't wait to share with you all about her story. It's taking everything in me to not say some of the cool things that she's done because I really want y'all to listen to the episode. So we're going to get into all of that information right after we have this quick word from our sponsor. So you want to start a podcast, right? I know it can seem really daunting and complicated to have to think through how to record it or how to edit it and even how to upload it. But don't worry about any of that. I'm about to give you the only tool you need to create an A1 top of the line podcast. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can even start making money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Now all you have to do is download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm, that's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M to get started today. Now let's get back into our content. Zelda Wynn Valdez was born in June 1905 in Chambersburg, Pennsylvania. By the age of 13, she was already sewing for her family members and she was also a classically trained pianist. In the 1920s, she graduated from high school and went on to work at a boutique in White Plains, New York, with the goal of becoming a seamstress. So during that time, like the Jim Crow era, black people were always relegated to low-wage service jobs, and the seamstress would be a fashion low-wage service jobs. Instead of positions that more aptly reflected their skills, like a fashion designer or costumer. So in the case of Miss Valdez, there wasn't much fashion-wise for her to aspire to because black people were always deemed seamstresses, even though their skills really put them above just sewing someone else's designs. Anyway... During her time at the boutique, she gained popularity and a great reputation among her clients and among the visitors that would come in looking for clothing. So in 1948, she went out and she opened her own boutique. And that made her the first black person to own a store on Broadway. 
She also organized fashion shows for Black Social Club in New York, which helped her gain a loyal client base of Black women socialites. And her boutique served as a safe space for them. So oftentimes, Black women, no matter how high up they were in terms of social status or how much money they had, when they would go into these stores looking to buy luxury items, of course, they'll be met with racism and all other forms of mistreatment. Zelda Wins, the store, however, provided a space where their bodies were celebrated, they were celebrated, and they were serviced in the way they deserved. So they knew they can walk into Zelda Wins on Broadway, get amazing luxury pieces, be respected, be treated fairly, um, be treated like a person. And so it offered a safe space for them where they could be themselves. They can celebrate and mingle with other black women while also celebrating a black woman. And the great thing about Zelda Wynn Valdez and the thing that I believe really attracted uh, these elite black women to her space is that she specialized in making clothing for curvy women, namely bodies of black women. She was known for her tight-fitting, body-hugging dresses worn by many of celebrities of the time, and she could create the perfect fit dress for her clients just by looking at them without measuring. And one of her clients was the famous Ella Fitzgerald, and it's said that Zelda Wynn Valdez only fit her once. So she only measured her once. And then ever since then, she could literally look at her in magazines and on the TV and tell what size she was and create clothing for her. Now, tell me that that's not amazing. I've personally tried looking at people and tried to get their sizes and have been wrong. Uh, I tried to guess my own size just by looking at myself and have been wrong every time. So the fact that this woman can look at somebody on TV where they say what TV adds 10 pounds. I don't know if that was still the case back then, but look at them on TV or look at them on the stage or look at them in a magazine and say, mm, she's about 32, 34 as far as her hips go. I think I got that. Is something phenomenal. It's like a superpower, honestly. Now, she also designed and made all of the bridal attire for Nat King Cole and Maria Ellington. And that wedding really pumped her up among the black celebrity circuit in terms of people recognizing her and knowing who she was. And it got to the point where other black celebs started seeking her out to make clothing for her. And some of these celebs include... Ella Fitzgerald, which we just talked about, Dorothy Dandridge, Marian Anderson, Josephine Baker, Diane Carroll, who is one of my personal favorites, Ruby D, Eartha Kitt, another one of my personal favorites, Mae West, and so many more. And if you don't know who some of these people are, Google them. And make sure you follow Black Fashion History podcast on Instagram that's black fashion history podcast and I'll go ahead and put up some pictures of all of these amazing celebrities in some of her looks in addition to designing for these legendary black superstars she was also 
what I would like to call a visionary. She was the genius behind the imaging, the look, and I would even dare to say the legacy, because this is what we know this person for, of Joyce Bryant. Now again, if you don't know who Joyce Bryant is, I encourage you to do your Googles and research. I'll also put a photo of Joyce Bryant and a little short bio on our Instagram page, so make sure you check it out. But Joyce Bryant was a singer in the 1940s and the 1950s. She was very, very sexy. She was known as a black sex symbol. Of course, you have to put black in front of everything back in those days. Uh, she was also known as the Black Marilyn Monroe, and they also called her the Bronze Bombshell. So she was that girl. She would perform in clubs, and the one thing that was synonymous with Joyce was sexy. And guess who was behind that image? It was Miss Zelda Wynn Valdez. Now, when Joyce first met Zelda, or excuse me, I cannot call this lady Zelda. She's a legend. When Joyce Bryant first met Miss Valdez, she was like singing church music in a cute, sweet church looking dress. Nothing like the image that we know her for today. Ms. Valdez outfitted her in her signature curve-hugging dresses, and the singer eventually became known for uh, those tight, sexy, body-hugging dresses that Zelda Wynn Valdez would make. Her dresses were so tight that she had to be carried off the stage. That's how, like, zoop, snatched up she was. Uh, and, of course, that look was created by Zelda Wynn Valdez. Sometimes designers and stylists and costumers don't get the credit they deserve for really being instrumental in the image and the legacy of artists. Like we remember Joyce Bryant as being the black Marilyn Monroe. And the reason why she was able to be identified as that is largely because of her look, a look crafted by Zelda Wynn Valdez as a designer. And there are celebrities today that reflect the same idea. The one that I can think of off the top of my head right now is Cardi B. So we love her for her personality. We love her for her story. Uh, we love her for her social media shenanigans. Um, and we love her for her music, but she is also become a fashion it girl she's at the new york fashion week she's at paris fashion week we're scrolling through her instagram and we're looking at her looks they're not just like your typical fashion nova and that's not shade to fashion nova but she's wearing couture looks you know she's wearing luxury looks and she's become known as a fashion girl and a large part of that is because of her stylist, Colin Carter, who is the visionary behind all of this. And that's what I'm saying. Like a good stylist, a good designer, a good costumer is the one that puts those things together and takes the star from not just being a star for their talent and their ability, but also to 
be remembered for their look and to create a look that people aspire to, that people are inspired by, and that people will look to from years to come. Mark my words, years from now, we are going to be talking about Cardi B as fashion inspiration. And that's because her stylist is really killing the game. I just had to throw my little two cents in real quick, but now I'm going to reel it back and we're going to get back to Zelda Wynn Valdez. In the 1950s, Miss Valdez moved her boutique from Broadway to Midtown, adjacent to Carnegie Hall, and making another mark on the industry. If her costuming and designing for celebrities didn't already do it, this new store location really solidified her place in luxury fashion and built brand exclusivity. Because the area in Midtown where she was, in addition to her Broadway store, really spoke to the level of elegance that she offered, um, the level of expensiveness that her clothing and the level of quality that her designs offered and it was a nice environment for her clientele because it was nice and posh and that's what they're used to so clients paid upwards of a thousand dollars for one of her pieces and in today's money that would be about nine thousand two hundred dollars that's a lot of money to pay for one piece. That's almost a $10,000 gown or a $10,000 dress. And that's how much people were spending on her clothing because it was just that deal. Zelda Wynn Valdez also had an ongoing relationship with Hugh Hefner's infamous Playboy Club. She would host Zelda at the Playboy fashion shows. Um, people would attend, would enjoy it, and that really helped her build a relationship with the brand and Hefner himself. So when it came time that Hugh Hefner was looking for outfits for the waitresses that worked at his chain of resorts and clubs, he commissioned Miss Valdez to make one of her famous and signature curve hugging pieces uh, for these waitresses because that really was synonymous with sex appeal at the time. Like her things were synonymous with body loving and sex appeal and thus the infamous playboy bunny look that we all know and love was born so i do have to say though that there has been some back and forth about whether or not she actually created the look some people said she was a part of a team that created the look some people say she was a sole designer some people say the designs were already there she just sewed it I honestly choose to believe that she created the look. One, the Playboy Bunny outfit was exactly like the things that she created for other celebrities and other clients at the time. It was her signature, um, really bodycon, so to speak, look. And she already had a relationship with the Playboy Club and Hugh Hefner. It only makes sense to me that if she wasn't the sole creator, she certainly was the originator. So that's what I'm choosing to believe. I'm going to live my life with the fact that we have the iconic Playboy Bunny outfit because of a black woman. Now, the thing that I love most about Zelda Wynn Valdez goes beyond her abilities as a designer and goes beyond her impact as an icon um, and a visionary. I love that she was all about empowering her community. In 1949, she was a co-founder 
and the New York chapter president of the National Association of Fashion and Accessory Designers. And the organization was created to elevate other black female designers, address discrimination in the industry, and, you know, a way to provide racial diversity into fashion. This organization launched in 1949 and we still need it today. Like we still have Gucci sitting on panels and talking to people about how to address discrimination in the industry, how to provide racial diversity, how to bring more black people in. We have whole summits and conferences and all kinds of things and new organizations that have popped up that are still addressing these same issues. So I really hate that we are what? Um, dang, I'm really bad at math. I couldn't even figure that out. We are years later <laughs> and we're still having the same conversation that Zelda Wynn Valdez um, and her team were having back then. I digress. She also taught fashion classes to youth in Harlem, and she was also the co-founder of the Harlem Youth Orchestra with Lester Wilson, and they co-founded that organization in the 1960s. Now, this was a perfect blend of all of Miss Valdez's skills. Remember, I told you that she was a classical pianist at the age of 13. Well, co-founding the Harlem Youth Orchestra really allowed her the ability to not only help in her community and give people a hand up, but to also explore her musical talents and um, kind of give into her musical passions. Also, from 1970 well up until the 90s she designed costumes for and toured with the dance theater of harlem and she innovated the technique that many black dancers will tell you that they have done um, at some point or other in their career and that was dyeing tights to match their skin tones until miss valdez um the ladies of the dance theater of harlem and many other black dancers around the country to be honest they wore pink tights made for white dancers because surprise surprise uh that's all that that was available when people make things they don't consider black people i guess they think we don't buy stuff um don't know what that's about but yeah all of the tights were made for white women and so she would take them dye them to match the different skin tones the varying skin tones i might add of the dancers Zelda Wynn Valdez passed away on September 26, 2001. However, her legacy obviously still lives on today in the pulse of Harlem specifically, but also America and fashion history in America. One lesson that I would like us to take from the life of Zelda Wynn Valdez and implement in our own life is don't just climb the ladder, but reach back and help someone else up. I think as black people across the industry, we're told that there can be only be one of us at the top, specifically black women. Um, we're always pit against each other and told that um, whether, you know, consciously or subconsciously, we're told that there can only be one of us at the top. However, Miss Valdez really made it her life's work to go back and open doors for other people, make sure that their experience as a black designer wasn't as racially charged as hers, making sure that there was more diversity in the industry, and then going back into her community and helping the youth of her community uh, learn about 
the work that she was doing and show them how to do and how to get into the work that she was doing. And that really allowed people the opportunity to come up. And so I think it's important that in our work, whether that be fashion or accounting or music, whatever that is, Make sure you take a step and acknowledge the people that have come before you and open the doors, but more importantly, reach back and help someone else up. We can't succeed without each other, uh, so we gotta help each other out. And that's it, guys. Thanks for listening to Black Fashion History Podcast. If you'd like the show notes or like to know my sources for this episode, then make sure to check the description on Apple Podcasts. Also, follow us on Instagram at Black Fashion History Podcast. Again, that's Black Fashion History Podcast. And if you love this episode, do me a quick favor and subscribe, rate us five stars, and of course, join me again next week for another Black Fashion History installment. Bye-bye.